episode of Spiritual Lunacy. My guest today to continue the conversation about death is Amita. Amita has already been a guest on this show before. The last time she was here, we had spoken about a large variety of uh, topics regarding spiritual development, uh, practices, etc. But today, for today's episode, we're specifically going to speak about death, the transition process. So a little bit about Amita. Amita received her spirit name of Moving Mountain from the Taos Mountains many years ago. She is a student of Adyashanti. Amita also is a teacher and a mentor for people on the spiritual path herself. You can find out more about her if you go to her website, Moving Mountain Academy. I am going to be dropping in a website link in the description box so feel free to look her up if you resonate with her teachings and would like to know more. Amita, welcome back. As always, a pleasure to have you. I really can't believe it's been a year since we had our last conversation. It's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. It's really canter. And it was wonderful to have met you in person in that time. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy to do this again with you. And a conversation close to your heart. You've talked so, about it. My heart, which sounds weird given that the topic is death. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not weird, you know, because um, most of the people who have been speaking to, they're super excited to speak about death, okay? Except probably for normal people like us. A lot of you are quite, you know, evolved to understand that there's nothing to be scared of or whatever, like fears I, I, that surround death. I'm not surprised one bit. Yeah, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, subscribe to that. I mean, we're, we're just all, you know, we're on the same, on the same um, human life experience. So, you know, it's part of, I think. Uh, yes, yes. But, you know, I wish like the people listening to the show, they could see the smile on your faces when I'm, you know, speaking to all of you. <laughs> when it comes to death so it's quite you know amusing and it's a, it's rather cute actually i mean like something in my mind i'm like thinking oh i should put this out as a video they should just see how everybody's grinning this is also cool so anyways i'm going to start off with um the first question because um i know you've dealt with a really um you know personal loss many years ago and that has been a turning point in your own understanding of death your own contemplative process and your spiritual life and that was losing your father obviously you were devastated and even though it's been many years i'm sure your perspective has also altered because of uh, the entire understanding and your entire process through your spiritual uh, life and understanding so do you want to take us through uh, how you viewed it now as vis-a-vis how you felt at that point? And this is not to confuse that um, you don't feel pain or you don't miss your father. You know, that would be a very inaccurate kind of a statement to put forward. But, you know, the entire process of transition. Would you Do you want to take us a little bit through that personal experience of yours? Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd, I'd um, love to do that. Uh, yeah, you, like you said, you know, this happened in um, many years ago, 1999. It was made all the worse uh, because I was in a different country. I was in America by then and my father passed in, uh, from cancer in India. Of course, I, I visited, but I was not there when he actually passed. Also, it was the first, it was my first experience of death so close. Actually, I'm going to correct that. I lost my very beloved aunt when I was younger, but losing my a parent, as you know, is is a is a whole different ballgame. Mm. I think that one of the things that, uh, well, as I've shared, perhaps even on this podcast before, but I will just quickly say that what it did, it amidst all the sorrow and the confusion and the you know sense of deep loss, questions arose. From where I'm not sure, but questions, deep questions arose, um, and they were questions like, what is life? What is death? You know, in the midst of that grief, I was kind of really impelled from within to start looking into those questions. And it began my search for, uh, you know, that that put me on the spiritual path. I think one of the things that was happening that did happen in that, and perhaps is something we can all relate to it, is that when we lose a parent, especially or somebody really beloved, somebody really close, we are actually in one sense, even encountering our own death. Because Mm -hmm. I I was losing a, a vital part of myself 
in his passing. Right. Although I would not have articulated it like that then, I now see it. I now see that that's because we have a certain way of knowing ourselves. We have a certain way of holding our identity. Some of that is conscious. Like I can say, I'm a woman. I'm so many years old. I come from this family, this culture. I live here. I have this job. These are things we can know consciously about our identity or how we hold ourselves. And then, the, then there's also a whole other, other way that we are actually holding ourselves or knowing ourselves that may not be so conscious. And for me, one of those ways is of my connection with my parents, with my family, with my father. What his passing and my grief really showed me was how I was holding a part of him as a part of me and without realizing it, you know, because we are born mm-hmm. in right. In his passing, I was being invited to let go of this fundamental part of me. And in addition to losing a beloved, beloved person in my life, my, my father, there was also the grief and the confusion, the disorientation around losing a vital part of me. So in a sense, I died. I died too. A part of me died. And a part that was a vital part, not just a, like losing a hair, mm. <laughs> integral part of me that I didn't even, that only in its death that it beca- that it it actually was acknowledged, which is interesting on its own. I didn't even know it was there till it passed. And then I, sometimes we, we only know things when they're gone. Right. We only know things were there when they're gone, you know. And so that's how it felt like for me. And to your question about um, how do I view that now, first of all, you know, I think I, I consider it a big blessing um, that in his passing, which was an, is simply an organic part of life. He had finished his life's purpose and he passed on. In his passing, I consider this to be his last gift to me. Like his death evoked those questions in me that I'm, I, I can now say transformed my life. I take it as a blessing in that sense. I take it as a blessing to have been so affected by his death that it broke something in me, broke some stasis in me that everything that I was until that point was not sufficient to address that grief. So something, it had to break. It had to break open and take me to the next um, phase in my life. But kind of with a nod to our theme today, also something in me had to die and had to be reborn. Something had to be born. You know, something new had to be born. That's how I kind of, where I stand today, that's how I, I sort of look upon death as a very natural, organic part of life. When I started, the more I started to settle into that view, the more at ease I started to feel about his passing, you know, and it didn't come in overnight. It didn't happen by no means. So like you said, even today, I can, I can, I can miss him. What I, when I miss him, it's not that, it's not with the same anxiety or desperation that happened when he, when, when the heart was so fresh when he passed. And also because I know and understand death much more now than I did then. And so there's, there can still be grief sometimes, which is just human and natural. And, but there's also uh, something deeper than the grief or something that the grief is held in, which is a, a peace with it, a peace, um, an acceptance that that's how life works. So that's how I'd like to. You know, I've never actually um, had anyone uh, speak about this when you uh, said like, you know, when you lose a parent, it's like losing a part of you. So part of you is dying. That was actually a very beautiful put, uh, beautifully put statement there, you know, because I've never thought of it that way either. You know, I don't think a lot of people have. You're right. I mean, one part of the grief is perhaps the loss of something, not just the person, but something within ourselves. So just to extend in on that, you know, for a lot of people, when they experience a loved one passing over a period of time, whether it's like, you know, for you, it was a deeper evolution, a deeper transition, you know, mentally within yourself. But for a lot of people, like they say, time heals and life is moving on, whether you like it or not. So there is something, some part of the wound, or let's say you get used to the wound, you get used to the bruise, okay? There's some some sort of an understanding that happens there. And, uh, you know, you feel like, okay, I've got this now, but bang, you lose another person and you're back 
you know, where you started. Mm -hmm. Is it ever possible, like especially if it's a younger person, I feel when there are older people transiting, there is some sort of an, you know, understanding or an excuse or whatever we have to comfort ourselves with saying that the person has moved on or is not suffering anymore. If it's a younger person, the pain associated is, is a little different, I think. You know, the understanding or the acceptance doesn't come in. Is it ever possible to get to a place where like, you know, when you, because life is going to make you lose people. Even if you don't lose everyone, you will lose people. You Okay, so there'll always be those moments. Is it possible then to get to a point where, um, you know, losing someone, it doesn't become a painful experience? I'm going to say yes and no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think that being human, that when we lose somebody that we love, it's only natural that no matter if they're old or young, if we love them and they're not going to be in the familiar form anymore, mm-hmm. that we are going to grieve deeply their passing. So in that sense, is that some a pain that we can avoid? I, I'm, I, don't, I don't really think so. Okay. But I have a question. I mean, would we want to avoid that pain? Because I see that pain as an integral part of love. When we love, we are taking the risk of losing that love over and over again. You know, because when we are in a loving relationship with anyone, with our parents, our children, our mates, our friends, our cousins, whatever it is, our siblings, aren't we always incurring a risk that we will lose the one we love, either because they will pass before us or we will pass before them? Loss is an integral part of love. And so the question I would have is, as humans, one of the most precious gifts we have is the gift of being able to love and being able to receive love. That's why I feel like I, from speaking for myself, I would not even want to get rid of this pain because I see it as an integral part of love. If I'm loving somebody and I know that if I love somebody, I, my heart will break at mm. several points in that relationship. And most, most most uh, critically or strongly when, when, when they, you know, if they should pass. Yeah. But the yes part of that answer, uh, because you asked, you know, does it mean that we will always have to suffer the pain? I think there's a part of broad, of, of falling into a perspective around death, which does not insulate us from the grief of death, nor should it, in my view. But it does soften our fears around death and opens us to actually living our lives more fully. Because I do feel like it's while it's natural to have fears about death, that's natural in the human sense or any animal body, as we know. Hmm. You know hmm. Woods, you know, every every little being is is protective about itself and, and, and hmm. is trying to survive. And and we are animal body, our bodies are animal body, right? So that's natural for us to fear death. But in case of the human being, there's the added aspect of the psychological fears of death, right? Because we have a psyche that is conscious. Mm. And actually, the the physical fears of death are probably a little easier than the psychological fears because physical fear shows up in the presence of an actual threat. Right. You know, if if a bus is coming at you, something in you without your thinking will just jump out of the way. It'll create enough fear, enough adrenaline to just, you know, make you jump up. But that fear of the bus is not going to stay in your soma, I mean, in a natural sense. But the psyche, if we can hold our fears in the psyche, even when there are no external threats, right? We can continue to have those, invest in those fears, consciously and unconsciously. We can fear death even when death is not literally at our doorstep. You know, we can have these fears and then they can begin to impact the soma, but that's a whole separate conversation. So I think that the yes part to the question, do, can things change? Yes. When, we, when, we are, when our perspective on death is a little broader and we understand death in a larger context, then those fears become more proportional rather than, being disproportional. And I just want to quickly, if I could speak to that of the fears, because I do feel like that's one of the things that, 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 you know, that is happening that, you know, 
as we have moved away largely from the structures of ancient wisdom coming through our religions and spiritual traditions that allowed us to be anchored in in uh, something that felt like it was larger than just our human experience you know we had all these anchors constantly available in our lives you know we um, as as a social groups we practiced certain things together we believed in things commonly and these things formed a sort of a um, uh, scaffolding to all the human lives that participated in those and we have lost that more or less now we don't have you know we don't have those community structures of believing in common faiths or being guided we have some of that but by and large as a globe you know we've moved on with the rationally minded and you know drawn to um, rational things so why i say that is because in that process the fears around everything but particularly around death have taken have become so acute and without the scaffolding of the ancient wisdom that knew how to ground those fears or hold those fears that fear of death has come to the point where we we now look upon death almost like a negative like it's a like a bad thing or a wrong thing or something right. avoided at all costs um i think with the old perspectives the ancient perspectives and wisdom perspectives everywhere invite us to see is that death is not something that is wrong or bad it is an organic part of life it's an organic part of life just like birth is an organic part of life and that death is not opposed to life it is inside it's a part of life so birth and death can be looked at as two ends life is holding both of them so in a living sense death is just a natural part i i'm going to say that we forget this it's not that we don't know it because we have we constantly see evidence of it but for some reason we um we forget it and that causes a lot of issues and once you make death a bad thing then it actually amps up the fear of death right because we don't want we don't want that bad thing in our lives we don't want it to happen to uh, to our loved ones we don't want it for ourselves so we are in resistance uh, to something that's actually just a natural part of life you know that resistance is it's it's really something that i saw in myself repeatedly is how that resistance impacting me consciously and unconsciously it dictates what i give my time and attention to it creates consequences in my life whether subtly or overtly all these factors come into play into i'm going to just go back to this aspect that you were speaking about how like you know we've lost like touch with our uh, ancient traditions like for any it can be any ancient tradition would you say like you know like uh, because uh, especially in india and you know when it comes to uh, hinduism okay we have a lot of ritualistic aspects also which revolves around uh, death which could be like you know the after the person has passed away like you know you literally have like people around you surrounding you all the time for 13 yeah. days or 10 days or 11 days whatever the time period is and it seems like you know overbearing and you know in many cultures people would say give us a space you know that that's one perspective but it has its own protective mechanism of making you feel everything is normal making you think about like what do we need to cook for 15 people in the house uh, but there also some ritualistic aspects that keep happening you know like small little um, you know uh, perhaps like you know sitting around doing a puja or something maybe so do you think these ritualistic aspects are also very important because for a lot of people you know rituals are not always viewed like you said in the modern world you know these things are like okay rituals these are just you know man made created things or whatever you know they, there are certain uh, there's a lot of resistance towards even those ritualistic ideas so these rituals uh, do they play an important role as well you feel apart from yeah. maybe just having the community shield you in a certain way because you know in, in hinduism we have a lot of rituals yeah. there are many aspects to it but you know if you just try to take the pure aspect of it and you know wonder why it's there right. how do you will that yeah that's a great question i actually um i really resonate to what you're saying and to me um the most rituals are really beautiful things and they can be really beautiful containers to face different uh milestones in life like if we have rituals for so many different markers for right. different so i really love a good ritual <laughs> but but when i say that i also i'm also aware that uh you mentioned in in the indian tradition we have a lot of rituals and some very beautiful ones but how many of us really understand what right. is 
you know, we don't speak the language mostly anymore in the, the language in which those rituals are being conducted, like the mantras, mm-hmm. the being lokas. And even when we go about them, I don't think, very, it's very rare for some, the priest who's doing those rituals to really explain the intentionality mm-hmm. of what is happening or, you know, so sometimes it can feel very mechanical. For me personally, I'm not partial to mechanically done rituals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I do love is, and I do appreciate about all rituals, including Indian rituals, is that especially when, uh, when they have to do with death, I feel like one of it, the primary purposes for those rituals is to enable the living members of the family to truly let go of that which has passed on, of the one who has passed on, and everything that the one uh, meant. Mm. So it feels to me like the ritual becomes a container for, or the which is an invitation for us to let the dead truly die. And I'm sure you get what I'm pointing to because there's so many ways in which we are holding on to that, right? Because it's natural out of what we were talking about. We love, we have loved that person. We love that person. So it's hard to let go of the person that we've lost. And yet the reality is that that person is, lost, is gone. So I think that the rituals are really the, the, one of the beauties of the ritual is that it allows a really well thought out, if you look at the old traditions, you know, just ways in which mm. it comes easier for the family members to let go of the attachment. Now, it may not happen in the period of the ritual, but it becomes mm. an invitation that then stays beyond the period and ideally continues to remind us that, you know, and, and invokes almost that intention in us that will keep uh, playing itself out even beyond the ritual. It involves an awareness in us, oh, you know, that, 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 that I'm attached and that that's not a helpful thing, not, not to the departed soul and not for the living soul. So yes, I can grieve and there's a legitimacy and a purpose and a beauty even to grieving because there's love, like we said before. Right. But then can I start seeing, you know, the threads of attachment that are actually keeping me from letting that one truly go? And how can I open to that? Because that is all, that in that in that is an acceptance of reality as it is, and in that acceptance there is a respect for both the departed soul and also for the living soul. Because I'm, if we are holding on, if any part of us is holding on to the departed soul, we are neither living. We are in this in-between territory. You know, the, a part of us energetically is locked up in ways that are not accessible to our regular life. We are, in a sense, not, li- not fully here in this inter, inter betu- in, in between zone. And, you know, if you believe in these things, then, and if you see them, then so is the departed soul. Because, right. you know, so there's this bond that's playing out, which is not, doesn't have a physical correlate anymore. It doesn't have a living correlate anymore. It's just happening at an energetic level. And it may not be serving you or the, the departed soul. So mm. I think rituals encourage us to and invite us to really consciously start letting go. And that to me is their beauty. So that's how I look upon a good ritual in this regard. Um, just going back a little, you know, I know a lot of people are not really afraid of passing, you know, I mean, Sometimes I think, I'm, like I remember hearing my grandmother, like, you know, she used to say, I'm done now. When do I move on? Yeah. You know, so uh, there are people who are, you know, are waiting for the new fresh life. So to say, they're like, you know, we are done with this. So, this, But she used to have like this very strong fear of suffering because she used to always wonder, how am I going to pass how will the transition happen? And uh, that, you know, makes makes you wonder. Sometimes the fear in a lot of cases now is not about like, okay, I'm dying, but, you know, the fear of suffering, which is very closely related to the idea of transition or dying. Is there a way one can get rid of this fear? Because, okay, you're right. Oh. If you love someone, we don't need to get rid of grief and pain. It's a part of living. But this is a very negative, you know, that idea of suffering and I may suffer or I will suffer, especially if somebody has a disease or old age, you know. How can one like, you know, I'm not saying like, you know, we have to bear pain, you know, say let pain come to me in that sense, you know, not physical pain at least. But how does one, you know, 
get to a space where this fear can be minimized as much as possible yeah yeah i i could not agree more that that you know even if you like even for humans who are relatively less afraid of the fear of actually dying they have a sense within themselves that you know when they're dead that they're opening into something new or right. they have whatever some they have some sense of peace with the actual death itself there might still be this fear of how is that going to play out and whether i'm going to suffer uh, as i die or before i die and so i think what i'd like to say about that is this is uh, like you said it's a fear of suffering and the fear mm-hmm. of suffering is occurring all throughout our life it's not just about death but we have in general we have a fear of suffering sometimes it's really difficult to tease those two out because mm-hmm. inherent in the fear of suffering is the idea that the you know a fear that oh will this suffering now be my death so there's always a fear of death that's inside the fear of suffering and there's always a fear of suffering that's inside the fear of death so they are in one sense so close to each other it's, but i think it's a good thing to delineate them in terms of like we were saying earlier having a little of a broader perspective around death because a lot of the fear of death ironically is also a fear of life itself because we mm-hmm. know life living life in human body in body entails like the buddha discovered it entails old age it entails illness and it entails death right mm-hmm. one of his first seeings that got him to wonder because he was the buddha as you know was kept away from all these and then he encountered that in the one day that he escaped from his palace encountered all these three happening and it began his lifelong pursuit of the question of what does suffering what is suffering and you know his path of cessation of suffering right so what i discovered you know i went through um there was a period of my life for four years where i went through a see you know an illness which was pretty grave and within the course of that illness i had several different seemingly unrelated things happening in my body and there were a couple of times when you know when i had to face the fear of mortality because it, it felt that i was on the edge of something and because i had already been on the path for a while by then it it apart from dealing with those things at a physical level i was also dealing with them at a spiritual level at a mental emotional level mm-hmm. you know and 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 it they caused me to go into deep inquiry around those things and what i discovered about the fear of suffering is that first of all i came into this understanding that at one um in one sense uh, i had a fear of death and the fear of death and i feel like this is common to all of us the fear of death could have like three components you know one is we are losing the familiar we are losing what is comfortable we are losing what is beloved we are losing everything that we are attached to we are losing our knowing of ourselves you know that's the fear that we're going to lose all of that the second part of the fear is that okay we are losing all these things but now we're also entering something entirely unknown what is there we don't know what what are we entering what is what is going to happen so there's a fear of the unknown which is a big big thing in the human psyche right because we are really comfortable with the known we are comfortable with certainty we are comfortable with familiarity we like that we don't like change we don't like to face the new because it scares us right. so aspect of of like what 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 can i expect after death i have no idea you know we may we may know a little something because we've read something but eventually it's it's not enough unless we actually know in deep way and the mm-hmm. third fear is we also realize we're going to be totally alone that's the fear also of complete aloneness so these are the three things that are all coming together in this thing that we call the fear of death right losing right. our ones losing ourselves losing vital parts of the way we know ourselves facing the unknown in a totally unprepared way like we don't know what to expect and the third is this we're not going to have company in that we're going to be totally alone so what do we rely on so all these things but if those are somewhat um settled you know then then when we come to this part of the fear of suffering what i saw which was actually liberating so i'm offering it in in that sense in that uh, with that intention that perhaps it can like you said address some of the fears around it is that when i 
I saw that I was okay on the three fears that I outlined, but that was not disturbing me. But what was disturbing me was this fear of suffering, the fear of suffering itself, you know, and it wasn't just for, for even for my love, because I knew everyone is going to die. I know we all know everyone's going to die. So mm. fear of suffering that I had to encounter in a very raw way, in a very raw, like primordial way. I had encountered fear before, but this was in that, during that time, it was really primordial. And the really insightful moment that cracked through was to see that the fear was the suffering. So in one way of looking at it, I was, I was conceptualizing it or I was orienting around it as the fear of suffering. And then in this breakthrough moment, and I, I won't go into the details, but it was a very, uh, it was a, it was really quite an incident that, that, <laughs> that, that I had to go through day uh, of sitting with fear because it was arising in me in, in, in spades, like in waves. And I had to sit with it and encounter it in a way that I'd never encountered it before. Eventually, as I sat with it in meditation for I don't know how long, the thing that cracked through for me was, oh, the fear of suffering is primarily about fear. That's the suffering, you know? I get you, yeah. And so it, it kind of flipped. And what I began to ha have access to is to look at fear itself. Because when we get into a fear um, state, we keep questioning everything that we fear, but we rarely question the fear itself. Because the fear is state is such a, is such a trance we become so identified with the fear itself that we're just desperate to try and get rid of that which we fear or try to mm. change we fear. What this situation brought to my notice is, wait a minute, it, it made me do a 180-degree turn and look at the one who was fearing all this. You know, it, And suddenly I saw that the suffering is not there. The suffering is here. This is what is the, you know, the suffering is the fear. That was seen, then it, it, it caused a big shift for me, you know, and I began to look at fear. I began to become more conscious of when I was in the state of fear and just in being and realizing, I began to realize that I don't have to be so enmeshed in that state of fear that there, can, there is a part of me now that's aware that I am in fear, like there's something prior, prior to the fear itself. I'm aware of my fear. And that fear is, is a perspective through which I'm viewing reality. And that fear perspective is causing that reality to be seen as suffering and to be received experientially as suffering. So you see, it was this whole chain that had to be kind of... As I realized that, I began to see just how much of suffering is caused by the fear perspective. I mean, I had been encountering this for more than a decade by the time this incident happened. But like I said, this was different. This time was different because it was so raw and so big, like the way the fear was arising, that whatever capacity I had developed until then was not sufficient to mm. be with it. So something had to crack me open. And that's what the cracking open did. And the cracking open enabled me to access a larger capacity. So in the sense, in one sense, speaking of death, the old one of the old fearful me who still had some fear in her system died into, and, and the new one had, mm. I won't say all of the fear is all gone. I, I'm, I'm never going to say that because one mm. never knows. Right. But, but this new one that it made space for had, I would say, much less fear in her system. She had the ability to look at fear rather than to be completely identified with it. So that the only perspective she had was the fear. Instead of that, she could experience fear, but then she could step back and say, oh, I am being fearful in this moment. And so there's an awareness of the fear itself. And that changed so much in my capacity. It, it broadened my capacity to be with fear and it broadened my capacity to be with suffering. And as a caveat, I quickly just want to say that doesn't mean that this change of perspective takes care of 100% of suffering. I don't think it does. There's some mm. suffering just inevitable, like the suffering. Like I said, you know, we will grieve when right. we those right. kinds of things um, are not 
I'm not saying it, this immunizes us to all suffering. Mm. Nor would, nor do I think that it's a healthy thing for, you know, for humans to be immunized from all suffering. Because if we really look at it, and I've spoken to so many people about this, and everyone, without exception, has come around to saying exactly this. Everyone who has gone through suffering in their lives of any, you know, of any sort, or especially, you know, serious illnesses and that kind of big suffering. Yeah. after some years have elapsed they will say they will be in a position to share just how much of that suffering uh, changed their lives in a good way that how much mm-hmm. of this is a blessing even though when they went through the suffering it didn't feel that way and for me it didn't feel that way i right. it was challenging it was deeply challenging but there was there was a part of me in that time too who which was in contact with the blessing of it because uh, again related to our theme i could actually see that so much so many parts of me that had fulfilled that purpose in my life were dying in that process and something else was they were making room for something new to be born and that's another thing that about death which is useful to see death creates room and space for something else and something else to be born if everything just continued forever and ever and ever can you imagine <laughs> the world and life would look like like i mean we don't realize in our fear of death and our resistance to death we don't realize the countless ways in which we actually are blessed by death by we don't realize how we even welcome death without being conscious of it mm. would you would you want um your uh, uh, even something silly like a pimple on your forehead to never die would you would you want something that you considered a, a bad habit that no longer serves you would you want it to continue forever you see there's so many debts that we actually want and that we do welcome mm. so in that sense we are already in touch with this organic part of life which welcomes death because it's a necessary part of keeping life alive death is a natural part of keeping life alive death must happen it makes room for what is bo- what is going to be born next so this is a cycle birth and death are a cycle which enable life to flourish and happen so but coming back to the suffering so this is what i feel uh like this fear of suffering is it is essentially it is the perspective which which uh to a certain extent defines if if that if that piece of reality will be experienced as suffering or not you could have two people experience the exact same thing and one will suffer and the other won't it's possible and right. why and why is that because we could even i mean if it's if it's possible to conduct this like a lab experiment we could actually do it but you know we don't have to do that we can look into our own life and find incidents where you know somebody has gone through the exact same illness and one person suffered deeply and the other even though they had the same illness similar physical ailments mm. the other for quite so much so we have capacity within us to change the way in which we can receive our reality our reality meaning the say like the illness or the circumstance and that capacity comes from having a different perspective so how we are viewing our reality shapes our experience of that reality and so as we settle back into a deeper perspective which is actually closer to the truth because you know that's mm-hmm. how then we come our capacity to look at things broadens we have an understanding how how of how things work we have an understanding i mean consider a silly example if you were presented with two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and that's all you were presented with and that's all you saw you wouldn't be able to make much sense of them you would wonder what they were now this is silly because they are not going to induce fear in you but imagine that there were two pieces yeah, yeah. and then imagine what happens when you see that they actually fit into this larger puzzle and then that puzzle is presenting a scenery now now you have right. no for no confusion about those two pieces you know you know exactly how they fit they fit into something which is a larger perspective and that larger perspective is beautiful it makes sense it's or it's order it's not chaos so there you know that's just to quickly convey what i mean by settling into a larger perspective and how it brings ease relief 
clarity and peace my long <laughs> answer i have some things there but before i get into those little points there i'm just going to go to uh, another question and that has to de- do with uh, you know this letting go because this letting go of things whether we are living or dying is very important because one part of like uh, dying at that suffering or the fear of suffering but when it comes to our own death as well is we're scared of letting go like the familiarity or what it, we are used to or our loved ones whatever it may be and now uh, maybe this question will more, make more sense if i put it uh, in perspective like especially when you're losing someone like you know somebody who is ill and you know this pa- person is passing on the world teaches us like all the time there is this constant strife where they'll tell you fight for your life like and uh, don't get me wrong i'm not saying like if you have a disease you you shouldn't be positive or you shouldn't you know mentally uh, fight it or whatever that's not the idea here but it's almost like you know it feels like we are battling life fight for your life you know you have to pull this back together almost like you know this this uh, crazy maniacal uh, trying to control you know uh, the life force that that's a different intention completely i feel like out how important is it for us to inculcate some practice where we ha- get this understanding and this is now going to boil down to the next question as well so i'm just going to throw it out there so you take your time to answer it how important are these practices where like we are able to fall back into that awareness mm-hmm. and your practices a lot of your practices i know uh, work through questioning where mm-hmm. uh, you throw out the question there and like you know and then push it and that helps you move back into a deeper space of understanding so maybe if you could like speak to us a little bit combining these two mm-hmm. and speak about practices the listeners what kind of questions they should have like you know if one wants to sit and contemplate and a very beautiful thing you said you know every day we are losing out something but while we're losing out something else is popping up at the same time so like you know positively speaking there's so many aspects of us which don't serve us anymore whether it's our own fears or maybe certain experiences we don't need it anymore so it will no longer you know be something we'll experience anymore and so some other experience will pop up but we're not aware of it mm-hmm. right so how, but you know to see these things you need to be like you know you need the chair to slide back Mm-hmm. right so yeah. could you speak to us a little bit about these practices or these questions one can and how does one use these questions because is it like oh i'm going to just keep like you know frantically asking myself like who is this what is going happening you know like you know who what 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 why why and like a loop how does one use these questions so i'm going to just keep this open and, and you take your time to answer it so yeah 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 um let me see if i can uh, kind of put it into a because you started really with a very important thing right which is about letting go um, yeah letting go and and i think what you also said was how you know especially in the context of uh, being with the loved ones who who is you know yeah not well or yeah and and there is that possibility that right this might be fine and um so yeah so i i i've recently faced i mean i've faced it a few times now, but recently and and so i i really resonate with what you said and it speaks to what we were talking about earlier that we've lost right. our these things you know we've made death into such a negative thing that we are fighting to keep alive and even when when even when it feels like the most natural thing that's going to happen is death we are still trying to push against it and we are still trying to that can generate a lot of suffering not just for us but also for the one who is mainly actually for the one who's going through this process having said that it's such a delicate thing isn't it like there's no way to say that oh this is i now i know this person has now reached the point where hmm. no return and so let's start preparing for death it's it's not so obvious right times it's not so obvious to to the family members um and to the loved ones surrounding the person right. but i think what i want to sort of say is that it's not obvious true but we can attune to it a little more consciously if we are able to 
see, with this attitude which we have sometimes that death is bad and that we want to keep someone alive at any cost, right. um, this attitude will not even allow us to take the first step towards understanding whether that whether death is whether it's time for the person to to go or not, a natural time for the person. Mm. So obviously we're not going to be attuned to it. I mean, we are not even going to notice if it's the time because we're not attuned to it. We are so focused on keeping the person alive. So I think the first shift has to happen internally. Can we be okay with with like I've been we've been saying all the time, like death is yeah. an organic part of life. Now, by to to kind of draw the point home, I'd like to uh, say some things about which I think we can all relate to it. When something is prevented from dying in its time, when something is prevented from dying in its time, does, is it not true that that generates suffering? I mean, look at it in any way that you want to in your own life first, you know, like we've just said, old habits that are, that don't serve us. If we hold on to them, as we all do, old habits die hard, they say, right? We, we have a way, like we've said before, we love the familiar. It keeps us, it makes us comfortable. So even when an old habit doesn't serve and we have the intellect to see that it doesn't serve, isn't it true that we're still holding on to it and having a hard time letting it go? But isn't it also true that that resistance to letting something go when it's time for it to go causes us suffering, causes pain, you know, prevents what is new from flowing, prevents life from flowing. It's like we put a stake in the river, like a thing, and we're not letting the river flow in mm. its natural course. And so can you imagine how much we are taking, like the river is coming at us and we're feeling like we have to stand like a wall. Just... It's everything that's not flow. It's, it's the movement of resistance. It's the stagnation, stasis of resistance rather than this movement of flow, which is life. So my question, something for us to consider, one of the things to consider is, is it useful to, to stop something dying? Is it, does it serve to stop something which is dying in its time to die? Even we'll get to the practical part of how to recognize, but you see what I'm saying? Until we're even right. open to doing that, we're not going to get to that second part. Because at that point, I feel like we are, we are really just being caught in the grip of fear. You know? And that's natural, you know, and I, I've been there myself, but we do have the capacity to step back from the fear. We do have the capacity to say, okay, at this point, given what I'm seeing of the reality, it's only my fear that I'm afraid of. Like I'm afraid of uh, many, many different things. I'm afraid that I will lose this person. I'm afraid that I will feel a sense of loss, a sense of defeat, a sense of like I gave up when I shouldn't have a sense of guilt or maybe somebody else is going to judge me or, you know, because the humans are complex. Yeah. Yeah. They're impacted by all these things. So I think it's important to see what is it that we're really afraid of? Because if you can, there's sometimes, there's sometimes we're even blocking something which is obvious. We said sometimes we may not realize uh, that it's time for someone to go. But, you know, oftentimes we're just not letting ourselves see the obvious because we're so scared. So I think just this, you talked about practice. So even before, usually it's good to have, it's like, it's like you know, you don't, you don't build your health all overnight to prevent. You sort of practice and go to the gym every day. So it's mm. what we call the, the, the death muscle, <laughs> building a death, <laughs> you know, like that's a good one. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's not something that we have to do. It's happening in life constantly. We lose 1% of our body cells every single day, which means that they're dying every single day, 1%, 300 million cells, which means that in a hundred days, we are a new body. I mean, that's, that's my, mm. that's a, Amazing to consider. So, so much death is happening all the time in our life, you know, that we are not aware of. Imagine if we were resisting that death of those old cells. Would, 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 would we be, it's not possible to live with that kind of resistance. Luckily, it's not with it. that kind of death which happens organically to keep these bodies in this way is not something that our mind can control. Thank God for that. Can you imagine what we would be if we had resisted every passing of all cells? But in a broader sense, that's what we're doing with that loved one. We're resisting, you know, we're resisting. And it's natural. Right. It's wrong or bad to do that. But as 
as intelligent heartful human beings um can we can we really become conscious that that's what we're doing and step into a larger perspective you know and the way to do that is is not just when the person's done it can be practice it so how do we practice it can we become conscious you know there are seasons when i like to do this you know the seasons we have natural seasons we have seasons of fall and winter in india we have the season of winter or summer i mean they're not four seasons okay. you know there's something about the seasonality when all of life around us is dying in certain sense when trees are shedding you know when when the bears are going into their holes and all that kind of so the, it's like the whole world is or the whole i mean the hemispheres are different but your environment is dying and so it, you know it's much easier to focus or to allow our attention to come on death when the whole environment around us is already in that energetic state of of dying so i recommend a seasonal practice but it doesn't have to be only a seasonal practice we can also look upon it with some questions um as often as we want to questions like can we become more conscious of when we are in resistance to seeing that which is dying can we be conscious of when we are resisting that which is already dead i'm not talking of the person i'm talking of practices yeah up with ourselves in preparation for our own death and for the death of another loved one you know how can we build that death muscle by giving attention to death in the million ways that it's happening in our lives every single day and you don't have to do this practice every single day but death is happening every single day so right. if we can even carve out sometimes some you know some amount of time to sitting with that to noticing that death is happening to contemplating that you know how am i resisting death how is it already occurring despite my resistance where is it where am i holding it off because of my resistance what has ended in my life and whose death needs acknowledgement because sometimes so many things are ending without our giving giving it its due it's recognized mm-hmm. it's it's burial or it's it's ritual right. so these are ways in which we can start to notice that our life is organically made up of death in so many different ways we get very excited about birth and we should it's a beautiful thing but it's like we want to only focus on one half of life and then then we are upset because we are not we don't feel at peace we can't feel at peace unless we are our attention in right. right which is right so this is a way of how can we include the natural ways in which death is already occurring how can we pay it some attention how can we give it some acknowledgement and notice it and and also particularly to notice that it happens naturally that it's not that we are not getting all bent out of shape you know there's so many deaths that are happening which we actually can we do welcome like we've said before and which we can welcome so what is ending in my life that needs my acknowledgement what has ended in my life that needs acknowledgement so that's what i would you know whatever the i i've suggested some questions but we can make this our own each one and the general idea i'm sharing sharing these questions is for us to just start noticing that death is happening all the time in our lives some of the times it's deeply resisted in us and we can look at that resistance but some of the times it's actually a good thing and we know it we're in touch with that you see so these ways help us to not look at because typically we only notice death when either we are on the deathbed or in threat of death on the threat of death or when somebody else is mm. that attention comes on death and what i'm saying is death is so much a part of life that perhaps we are well served to give it some attention even before that alarm bell is rung in our face you know just allow yourself to open to it so that's i think that's what i was that's what i would say about that and i'm just quickly checking here because i've made some notes so just seeing if there's something that there's one thing perhaps that that is worth uh, mentioning but first did i did that kind of address yes it did just one little thing i wanted to add in there just for the sake of everybody listening you know so often but when people are using questions as an awareness tool um like i mentioned earlier there is this you know tendency to start using it as a mantra you know yeah. keep repeating it keep repeating so how does one actually effectively use it is it yeah. like i sit 
in one corner, write down what would be like, you know, very briefly, if you could give us the process, yeah. because it becomes like a repetitive thing otherwise. I think two, two things. One is if it depends on how we are oriented because everyone is different. So I think hmm. just two. So one is if you're the kind of person who, who likes discipline, who likes to have a practice, regular practice, then maybe we can have this practice of doing uh, a contemplation or a sitting with uh, these questions. Like I'll just take one question. Like I'm going to sit every day for five minutes or whatever time or every week, some regularity. All right. Um, and for that, for, for that period of sitting, I'm just going to allow myself to acknowledge that death is occur has been occurring and is occurring in my life. And I'm just going to allow myself to contemplate, oh, that habit has, you know, gone. That habit, I remember I was, I had that belief that's gone. That mm. has died. Oh, wow. You know, you might even discover things about yourself in this meditation that you were not in touch with. So like making just giving that dedicated time to do nothing but focus on all the endings that have happened in life. Okay. Okay. In your life, in that particular life. Yeah. Yeah. If you're drawn to journaling, you could even use that time to journal because for some people it's easier to journal. Easier to, yeah. For some people you might go on a walk and just contemplate it or some people you might sit in a chair and, you know, so these are the different things. The other thing is if you're not drawn to a regular practice, then I would say let life cue you. Let life cue you. So let's say, you know, there are a million things that happen in life sometimes that put us in fear. So I would say anytime you are in, in fear, maybe one of those times you want to treat as an invitation. Oh, can I let that, oh, I'm in fear. Could I perhaps reroute that fear and use it as a time to contemplate? So these are the two ways that I would say, instead of, like you said, it doesn't serve to use like a mantra and just, you know, ask yourself again. Yeah, that may be helpful, but but in these ways, because even even small periods of doing this really start to shift our perspective. That's I think the hope for us humans that as soon as we start giving attention to something, it really expands us. Even in small doses, it expands us. It creates room and space in, in, in our perspective. Any ending thoughts there? Because if time could die, we have killed enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Uh, I'd like to end with a poem that that um, that arose yesterday when I was in my you know I do a monthly poetry circle with some dear friends. Okay. And what we do is we just sit together and, and meditate for a little while and then write poetry together. So yesterday, as 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 life would have it, uh, we all wrote on death. So this poem, <laughs> this poem emerged, and I I think and if that's okay, I'll just. Read that. Yes, I think that's a beautiful way to wrap the episode up. Okay, so the poem is not titled, but it says, What are you, O mighty death, with your invisible sword ever upon my back? How am I, this fragile human being, how am I to receive you? And death says, Receive me as you would an old friend one whom you love deeply and truly, one who encourages you and supports you in your best, one who won't let you drown in small pools, one who will never abandon you no matter what, one who you can trust with your life. Don't let my grim face fool you and cloud over the beauty of my heart or my love for you. Show me one thing about you which isn't dead in the moment after you point to it, and I will show you where you were born and died in the same snap of my fingers. The time and space that you are a creature of, they die into me, says death. Only the deathlessness of you that you can know as a human is my equal. In your knowing of me so deeply, I become you and you become me. Be brave enough to know me. And finally, finally let yourself die the million deaths that I have arranged for you in life. Die and die and die again. And so live gloriously, O human. And when it is time for the final death, you will meet me as the old friend I am. Lovely. 
I think that that's a perfect way to end this podcast. I love that you live life gloriously. Yeah. And then you can meet me as the old friend. Beautiful. That's super. So, you know, thank you so much for taking our time to do this. You do know I ha- always enjoy speaking to you. <laughs> I do. Dita, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> 